Over the last couple of weeks, I examined new wave music in North America and the UK, as well as its connections to punk rock, and how local music scenes and the rise of synthesizers shaped the sounds of the 80s. But by the mid-80s, new wave was starting to die out. Music fans were moving on to other genres that were on the rise later on in that decade, and a lot of people were viewing the early MTV new wave artists as shallow. There were also a lot of homophobic slurs going around about those bands, and a lot of artists within the scene were even moving on to different sounds as well. But in the background, New Wave's influence and attitude would carry on. Its independent and punk roots would pave the way for alternative rock and dance music going into the 90s and the 21st century. But where are those influences? How is this music the sound that came back now of all times? Well, now it's time to look at what came after New Wave and how those connections are there. This is The Tim Gavin Show. Even if you might not be a big fan of New Wave, many artists that you like may still cite New Wave as an influence. Justin Timberlake is a self-proclaimed Duran Duran superfan, even collaborating with them in 2007. More on that later. Chris Martin was also inspired to form Coldplay by listening to AHA, and The Killers even got their name from a New Order music video. And a lot of these new sounds that came after New Wave were reactions against the mainstream. New Wave was always evolving and experimenting with other styles of music, and as artists were going in and out of New Wave, a few had grown tired of the pop direction that New Wave was going into, and as a way of reacting against it, they got into another type of electronic music, one that had sprung up alongside punk rock in the UK, industrial. Back in the early days of industrial music, it was just largely experimenting with noise and really crude synthesizers, but as it evolved, more artists started bringing more influences from heavy metal and dance music into their bands. And in fact, three of industrial music's most popular bands did come from somewhat of a new wave background. The first being Skinny Puppy, formed as a side project for Images in Vogue drummer Kevin Crompton. They'd become pretty popular around Vancouver, opening up for Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, and Roxy Music. But Crompton was becoming unhappy with the pop direction that Images in Vogue were going and after recording a few songs and creating the name Skinny Puppy, he ended up meeting Kevin Ogilvie, a roommate of one of his Images in Vogue bandmates who had moved from Calgary, Alberta. The two of them were fans of industrial bands like Throbbing Gristle and Cabaret Voltaire, and Kevin Ogilvie was also drawn to that music after listening to Joy Division and The Cure. They came up with the stage names Kevin Key, that's spelled with a C up front, and Nevek Ogre, and Skinny Puppy started releasing music in the mid-80s eventually bringing in Dwayne Godel into the band, also from Alberta, and a big part of Edmonton's music scene back then, playing in a few synth-pop bands before joining Skinny Puppy. Other collaborators included William Morrison, who would later move on to film, making music videos for Biff Naked and Matthew Good. Also in the band at one point was Bill Lieb, who moved on from Skinny Puppy to form another important industrial band, Frontline Assembly, as well as Delirium, who you might know for their song Silence, featuring Sarah McLachlan. And in 1989, Skinny Puppy would also collaborate with Ministry's Al Jorgensen on their album Rabies. And at that point, Ministry had only really just begun to dive into industrial music, releasing the classic album The Land of Rape and Honey, based on the motto of a small town in Saskatchewan called Tisdale, a motto which has since changed. But before releasing that album, Ministry's sound leaned very much into New Wave, especially with their first album with Sympathy, which wasn't industrial at all, it was just New Wave. And later on, during a stint opening up for the police on the Synchronicity Tour, he met Seattle punk band The Blackouts. They toured with Ministry along the West Coast before splitting up, and then members Paul Barker and the late drummer Bill Reiflin, also of R.E.M. and King Crimson, 
would join Ministry as they transitioned into industrial music. And one cool thing about industrial music that you start seeing as you explore more of these bands is just how intertwined everything is in this genre, with different artists producing or collaborating on each other's albums or making side projects. Skinny Puppy actually has about nine different side bands directly related to them. Al Jorgensen has about six or seven total side projects, even while featuring on other bands' work, including on a solo album of industrial and punk pioneer Alan Vega. And by the way, that solo album was produced by Rick Ocasek of The Cars. Sometimes these side projects were just to branch into new musical territory and collaborate with other artists. In the case of ministry side project Palehead, which had Ian MacKay from Minor Threat and Fugazi on lead vocals, Lard, which was under the same principles as Palehead, but instead featured Jello from the Dead Kennedys, and Acid Horse, which was just to release a single with Cabaret Voltaire. Also once or twice, it was just to release album outtakes. In the case for a band whose name did not age well at all, A Thousand Homo DJs. This Ministry side project only released about four songs that were recorded by Ministry in 1988, but they managed to have one underground hit, a cover of Supernaut by Black Sabbath. And it is a great cover. But what makes it so special is that some versions of the song passed around over the years has Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails singing lead vocals. Sadly, record label issues around the time for Nine Inch Nails prevented this version from getting released for years. And it was first released in a box set released by Wax Tracks in 1994, then got a wider release in the mid-2000s for Ministry's Sidetracks compilation. Drummers Bill Reiflin and Martin Atkins also formed a project called Pigface, which wasn't so much a supergroup as it was a chance for industrial bands to network, with dozens of members coming in and out of the group, including some artists outside the genre. Collaborators included Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Dean Ween, Penn from Penn and Teller, members of Napalm Death, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, My Life with Real Kill Cult. I could go on, but that would take literally hours. And of course, like we mentioned in the last episode, Nine Inch Nails also had a bit of a new wave background with Trent Reznor being in different new wave bands around Cleveland around that time before forming Nine Inch Nails. And while industrial music was parallel to punk and new wave, a lot of industrial rock coming out of what was going on in the States still had roots in new wave music. And a while later, we'd start seeing some of those sounds come back for a while in the mid 2000s as well. Not to mention, there are a lot of new wave bands that are still making music. Duran Duran started falling out of popularity in the 90s after a poorly received cover album and having a few lineup changes of their own. Still making music every few years, but not making any hits as big as their work in the 80s. If you comb through some of these albums, you'll find some really interesting stuff. Most of the main band did get back together and in 2007 released an album called Red Carpet Massacre. It did go under a lot of people's radars, but there was still some buzz going around because Timbaland produced a few songs for that album, and Justin Timberlake ended up singing on a couple of songs, including Night Runner, which basically sounds like it would belong on Justin Timberlake's Future Sex Love Sounds. In fact, I think that song would have been a huge hit if they actually did the work to release it as a single. New Order had some challenging years in the 90s as well with their first hiatus in 1993, but they stayed pretty popular with the dance music crowds and all their members had sidebands as well. Bernard Sumner started Electronic with Johnny Marr from The Smiths, Peter Hook formed Revenge and made one album, and Gillian Gilbert and Stephen Morris formed a band called The Other Two. Then after spending the rest of the 90s inactive, they eventually got back together and made 2001's album Get Ready, which featured Billy Corgan from The Smashing Pumpkins on one song. They also had a bit of a hit with their lead single off of Get Ready called Crystal, a music video was made for it, but none of New Order was in it. Instead, they got a bunch of actors together and formed a fake band for the music video called The Killers. 
which is where the real life The Killers got their band name. Some more connections between them and New Order, frontman Brandon Flowers would later perform Crystal live with New Order, and The Killers covered Joy Division's Shadowplay for the biopic Control and for the B-Sides album Sawdust. Other alternative rock bands like the Kaiser Chiefs, Franz Ferdinand, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and Metric also take a lot of inspiration from New Wave. Another New Wave and alternative rock connection is through the Cars frontman Rick Ocasek, who would go on to do a lot of production work, not just with Alan Vega, but also with bands like Weezer, producing the Blue Album and Everything Will Be Alright in the End, as well as some songs for Bad Religion and No Doubt. And nowadays, we are seeing a lot of nostalgia for the 80s, not just in the aesthetic, but also with the music. So right now, New Wave starting to pop up again in a few places. Taylor Swift borrowed bits and pieces of some elements of New Wave for 1989. Other bands leading the New Wave comeback, at least over in the UK, are the 1975 and Pale Waves. And there is a lot of that 80s New Wave sound in their music. The 1975 is a little more varied, but Pale Waves especially does that sound really well and I think really makes it sound nice and fresh. That 80s nostalgia is running deep in other parts of pop culture as well. Best known, I think, right now in popular culture is with the soundtrack for Stranger Things. It's dark, intense, has some very 80s sounding synthesizers, and there is actually a subgenre for that, synthwave. And you'll hear that type of music a lot in other movie soundtracks like Drive, Kung Fury, and the Tron Legacy soundtrack produced by Daft Punk. A couple more band shoutouts if you want to check out more of this new wave of new wave. You can check out Drab Majesty, which adds a huge goth vibe into their music as well. And The Black Queen, which is made up of Greg Pichotto from Metalcore Band Dillinger Escape Plan, Telephone Tel Aviv's Josh Eustace, and Nine Inch Nails guitar tech Steven Alexander. And there were also a lot of artists who moved on from new wave into progressive rock as well. At the end of the 80s, Japan would come back together as the band Rain Tree Crow and release an album in 1991 but creative differences did end up splitting them apart again. But members Steve Jansen, Mick Karn, and Richard Barbieri would join the art pop band No Man, led by Steven Wilson for a 10-date tour, and contribute some instruments to a few songs that they made. Barbieri would also become a permanent member of Steven Wilson's other band, Porcupine Tree, and he'd be in that band until their split in 2010. Steven Wilson also frequently collaborates with Kajagugu's bassist Nick Beggs on Wilson's solo work. As you can see, there are a lot of roots that New Wave has established in music, and even though people have mostly moved on, you can still hear some of its presence in the background if you look around a lot. But now, we're gonna go back in time to just before The Killers released Mr. Brightside, and New Wave started creeping into pop culture again. So it's time to take a look with my friend Scott Mitchell at what was big this week in 2003. It's time for Still the Number One. I find this chart very interesting because it's still, I guess, relatively recent in the grand scheme of things, and yet there is so much on this chart that I know and I'm completely unfamiliar with, both at the same time. Right, and I think it was a, a very telling year in terms of where the trends were going and uh, more of an influx in that R&B, hip-hop, urban sound making its way into the world and becoming more popular. I mean, look at the top five itself and every single one of those songs fits somewhere in that category. Before doing this, how many of the songs of the top 10 had you heard? That's a good question. I'd say probably uh, seven. I'd say about six for me in the top 10. But up until just a couple days ago, I hadn't heard that 
number one song on the chart. 21 Questions, 50 Cent, and Nate Dogg. I had to take a listen again. That was one of the ones where I was not 100% sure on. And then I listened to the first minute or whatever. I'm like, okay, now I remember this song. Vaguely, but it's there nonetheless. What do you think led it to being number one, even though we are very much outsiders to hip-hop? 50 Cent was really making a name for himself back in 2003 and there was uh if you look down at number 13 as well he had in the club in there uh i believe if you scroll further down on the chart there was another 50 cents so i think he was one of the ones who was really yeah pimp was in it uh 51 as well um he was really leading a charge on that hip-hop game back in 2003 and uh that was probably one of the reasons why if not the reason why it got to the top for sure. And Into Club, it did get to number one. And looking at things, it spent a while on the mm-hmm. charts. Absolutely. And that was kind of uh, along the same lines. Uh, if you look into that top five, number two, Sean Paul, Get Busy, was there for 17 weeks. Um, Busta Rhymes and Mariah Carey with I Know What You Want at uh, number three was there for 15 weeks 15 weeks for fabulous can't let you go at number four and uh of course little kim and 50 cent was on that one as well magic stick was number five and that was working its way up the chart as well yeah and even though there is a lot of hip-hop on this chart i am seeing a lot of variety especially number six evanescence <laughs> bring me to life the heaviest song to ever hit the pop charts and probably the last heavy song that ever will. And it still is uh, heard quite often on mainstream and hot AC stations. Which absolutely blows me away. <laughs> like, again, it's it's pretty light and tame compared to everything else in heavy metal. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's still a very heavy song and... Looking back, as much as I love it, and I love that whole Evanescence album, it's just so shocking to me that that got so far, and I'm so happy that it did. Uh, Also in that top 10, uh, R. Kelly and Ignition at 7. Beyonce and Jay-Z, Crazy in Love at 8. And and really, that was was where it peaked, was at 8. And I thought for sure that was going to be a more... Um, influential song. Yeah, right? Like, Beyonce just starting to go out on her own, but she was still a Destiny's Child at this point, I think. Yeah, what's about 0203 that there was, that was a little bit shaky, but yeah, I, I think she was still part of that. Uh, JT with Rock Your Body at 9. Yeah, and this wasn't even where he was at his peak yet. He was just getting started, but this was such a huge song. And then uh, Matchbox 20 and Unwell uh, was at number 10. Yeah. That it, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that that song is like from 2003. I don't know why, but it just feels a little older. I, I think when it comes to Matchbox 20, everyone kind of just feels like they belong in the 90s. They had that 90s vibe, that 90s sound to them. But in reality, they were still releasing music uh, as a group fairly recently, too. Best minivan rock group ever. <laughs> seriously that, it's becoming a term i've heard it tossed around on twitter a few times like those like rock bands like they're still rock but it's still safe enough that your mom will let you listen to it hence minivan rock i could see that that's for sure and i mean rob thomas is 
one of those guys who he seems to flip flat, uh, flip back and forth between group stuff and solo stuff all the time. And it's like, Rob, will you just pick one? One thing that actually kind of disappointed me when I went to go see Matchbox 20 live a couple years ago. Yeah. Rob Thomas did not perform any of his solo stuff. And I was kind of hoping at least like, come on, at least sing this is how a heart breaks. <laughs> come Street on. Corner symphony. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I could see what you're saying, though, about there's a lot of variety on this chart. And um, we're seeing, again, if you go a little bit further down, um, that that country uh, vibe getting back into it. Even when you look at Kid Rock in Picture, I was kind of uh, one of those in-between songs. I have a very complicated relationship with that song. Do you want to share with the class? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay, so Picture, Kid Rock featuring Sheryl Crow. I'm very conflicted on it because on one hand, I do not like Kid Rock as a person. Yes, he's a horrible human being. I'm not really a huge fan of his music, but I have a whole lot of good memories of that song. My my dad's actually a Kid Rock fan. He'd play that song in the car stereo a lot when I was growing up. So, so it was quite frequent yeah. uh, that you heard it? Yeah, and... While I'm not a big Kid Rock fan, I do have a certain fondness for that song. Gotcha. Plus, it's a karaoke staple. Like, any time <laughs> that there's a duet, at least 25% of the time, it's picture. I I 100% believe that. We also had um, <laughs> Toby Keith and Willie Nelson with Beer for My Horses at number 25. Oh, God, that song... <laughs> <laughs> That's hey what so give, given the circumstances does that song not just seem racist as hell yeah 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 uh lone star my friend porch looking in was at number 26 that's a good song oh yeah i, uh, I like Rast lone star i got to see them live once uh amazed is another good song oh yeah uh, rascal flats love you out loud was at 31 uh, randy travis was in there with three wooden crosses at 34 jewel with intuition at number 30 yeah kind of country that was more of her poppier stuff it was like this is i guess the time when she sold out according to some people <laughs> oh even Pretty got cold play on this chart too yeah just kicking in there with clocks at 33 uh, and then you go down and like eminem sing for the moment is there 38 uh one other thing i wanted to mention um this is very timely that we're talking about this chart one of the uh, big debuts this week on the chart at number 69 was the black eyed peas where is the love nice don't <laughs> <laughs> don't well, i know where you're going yeah, with that number 69 the love's in a few places <laughs> <laughs> For those who can't see what just happened, because this is audio and not video, I uh, just buried my hand into my face when he said that. Yeah. Hey, if I'm not making you groan like that, am I really doing anything worth it? Okay, let's see. What else have we got on this chart? Oh my goodness, this song. Uh, have you ever heard Beware of the Boys? No. Okay, it's, it's actually a really good song. I will take your word for it on that one. It's something that I'm surprised is on the charts. It is probably the most the most interesting pick for this chart. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. And then you had, you know, still some uh staples uh that were the the core artists during this time on uh pop radio. You know, you had um 
Big Yellow Taxi, the uh, cover by Counting Crows and Vanessa Carlton on here at 46. Santana and Michelle Branch with the Game of Love as well. Train Calling All Angels at 47. Yeah. Oh, and if you crawl down to near the bottom of the charts, look at what's at number 86, Seven Nation Army. I, yeah. <laughs> Only it's fourth week on the chart, and this song, I think, that was basically like the rock song that would go on to define the next rest of the decade pretty much yeah i would say that and it's kind of stuck right in the middle between blue cantrell breathe and foo fighters times like these (laughs) which in a way seems almost appropriate fair but yeah it was uh it was just stuck right there in between those two songs and it just it it's a very uh diverse chart if you will yeah oh hey another another really fun thing i noticed in here Phil Collins and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, both next to each other, both both contain the words can't stop. And at number 93, the saddest song ever written. Oh, yes, Martina McBride, Concrete Angel. Yeah. I don't, I don't care who you are. If you don't cry at that song, you're a monster. That's very fair. Um, also had other uh, songs along the way that made it big. You know, Brad Paisley and Celebrity was there. What else? The Remedy, Jason Mraz. Get Low, Lil John, and the I just Boys. scrolled right past that. Yeah, Shania Twain, Forever and For Always was there. Red Dirt Road by Brooks and Dunn. Oh, and The Remedy by Jason Mraz. You remember that one? I literally said that like 10 seconds ago. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Tim's not paying attention. I mean, hey, it's not one of his most memorable singles, so. Uh, I mean, there was really only a couple that are now kicking around these days, and The Remedy is one of them, I'd say. Yeah, that's true. Oh, and so Linkin it, Park. Yeah, there's just, there's just so much in here. It's a very random chart. Did we talk about Like a Stone yet? Number 36? No, we haven't. I don't think. Just Audio Slave kicking in there as well. Yeah, and... Actually, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it and just say like like a stone. Probably the best song on this whole chart. I believe you've said that about three different songs on this chart now. <laughs> I know, but I just keep seeing more, and it's just <laughs> there's so much good stuff here. Pick one. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll I'll pick Audio Slave. Okay, there we go. There we go. Uh, also, uh, still further up the chart, um, Uncle Cracker's cover of Drift Away at 17 yeah that's another song that i thought was older for some reason it's because you automatically you think of the dobie gray version right uh kelly clarkson miss independent was at 19 christina aguilera and fighter at 20 yeah man 2003 that like right as kelly clarkson was just like making it big with american idol and did you ever see from justin to kelly no oh my goodness you you gotta see that this is like the best worst movie ever it, it is hilariously bad. Speaking of American Idol, in at number 100, the American Idol finalists with God Bless the USA. Ugh. Gotta, gotta have something patriotic on the charts. Oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it's like a requirement. It's like it's like CanCon for the States. Instead of like <laughs> having like 35% Canadian artists, like, no, but you have to have once a year, one song with America in it. And I'm surprised that it wasn't country. Well, I mean, there were- Kinda. Kind of. Yeah, you gotta remember, there were probably some country singers in that season of Idol. 
Yes. Yeah. And so they would would have been kicking in there, but it's not like purely country. Yeah, it's like it's like half. I don't know if you mention if you mention America at all, that automatically like boosts its country cred by like ten percent. <laughs> so there's childish Gambino just making his waves on the countryside. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was like the catalyst for Old Town Road to come in. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh gosh. Why? Why did you do this to us, Donald Glover? Because he can. <laughs> Donald Glover can do anything. Apparently. Apparently. I don't know, though. I, huh. Saying that 50 Cent 21 questions, I I don't know if that's still the number one, though. See, I, I kind of... I like the song. I was listening to it a lot yesterday. Just listening to it on repeat. And... I think it's a great song. I mean, it's it's a little off-brand for 50 Cent, but at the same time, you know, it's it's a really good love song. It's, it's a nice little slow jam. I, I dig it. But, you know, looking back at it... Yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't think it's still the number one. Okay, so let's have the conversation out of this whole chart. Which one would you say should have been number one? And which one didn't get enough love? Okay, so first off, I want you to think of what I'm gonna say. What what do you what do you think my answers are? I'm gonna say I'm gonna think that you are gonna say the number one should have been Evanescence Bring Me to Life. Actually, no. I think it's peak at number five. That was like right perfect for it. Okay. I'm going to say that that number one song should have been Crazy in Love. Okay. The one that didn't get enough love. I'm going to go with. Hmm. Let's say like a stone. Yeah, you got me there. Okay. (laughs) I I was kind of hoping that that one would at least like. uh, Let's see. What was its peak? Number 31. 31. It should have gotten into at least the top 20. I'm uh, I'm with you there on Crazy in Love. Uh, the one that didn't get enough love, though. Let's do it. Let's say Train Calling All Angels. You know, I can agree with that. You know, that's a, that's a good song. And it, according to this chart, it only peaked at 47. Yeah. Plus, I think that was like Train's only like big hit for a long time. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. When did Drops of Jupiter come out? Oh, that was years later. I think oh nine. No, no, it had to. It had to. I thought it. I thought it came out before Calling All Angels. Hang on. I, I'm. I'm gonna look it up. Oh one. It was oh one. Yeah. What was the What was the one though that like? Cause they had years. Hey, sister, between... that's the one you're thinking of. Yes, that is. Cause they had years in between their hits, like uh, between Calling All Angels and Hey Soul Sister. Yeah, like they they have like one big album and then an album that nobody talks about, then a big one. And then they went on a hiatus. <laughs> and then they covered all of Led Zeppelin 3 for some reason. Look it up, it actually happened. Oh yeah, I'm on their Wikipedia page right now. Uh, Led Zeppelin 2. Oh, I, why did I say Led Zeppelin 3? I don't know. It's uh, It was literally called Train Does Led Zeppelin 2. At least it wasn't Led Zeppelin 4. We don't need Train doing Stairway. Oh boy! Just imagine Pat Monahan on vocals on that one. And she's buying a stairway to heaven. 
you're, you're pretty close. I'm hanging out with all the angels on the stairway to heaven. I feel like that's about the time where we wrap up this segment. <laughs> Tim's singing now, guys. This isn't good. So yeah, 21 questions. It's not still the number one. There's still a lot of music out there that is inspired by New Wave. And if you want to hear what New Wave bands did after its peak, check out Rain Tree Crow's self-titled album, Get Ready by New Order, and The Red Carpet Massacre by Duran Duran. And if you're deep diving into them, make sure you listen to Duran Duran's cover album, 1993's Thank You. I think it's definitely a lot better than critics made it out to be. If you're curious about industrial music and its integration into New Wave, check out Twitch from Ministry. Pretty Hate Machine from Nine Inch Nails, and Back and Forth Series 2 by Skinny Puppy. And for new bands inspired by New Wave, listen to the 1975 self-titled debut, especially the deluxe version, Fever Daydream by The Black Queen, and My Mind Makes Noises by Pale Waves. This was the last part of my series on the connections in New Wave music, and for a look at what's coming up in future episodes, make sure you like and follow The Tim Gavin Show on Facebook. Links to social media, my sources, and some further listening is in the description. Leave a review where you can and share it with your friends. Thank you so much for checking out The Tim Gavin Show. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Talk to you later.